Hi, hello and welcome. This is the Zonecast where we interview emerging professionals, entrepreneurs and academics. And uh, today we have with us on the show uh, Lenore uh, Johnson. Uh, she is the founder and CEO of Lenjo Biggs. Uh, hi, Lenore. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing very well. Thanks. How are you? I am good. I'm good. And I'm definitely excited to uh, do this particular interview. Uh, and learn more about uh, your business. Um, can we start by talking about your professional and personal background? Yeah, for sure. So I was born in Toronto, um, grew up in Brampton, just outside of Toronto, GTA. Um, I don't know, I really loved to bake all my life, really, but it was more of a I think that we kind of did at home. Um, I actually didn't know that you could buy cookies at the grocery store until I was like maybe six or seven. Um, and when other kids in class would like have cookies that came in wrapping, you know, I was like, what is, what is this? And they're like, they're cookies. I'm like, no, moms make cookies. <laughs> uh, because my mom was baking all the time for us. Um, and so it was kind of just something that I, that I grew up with. And, you know, she baked because her mother baked and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so it was in, uh, in high school that I was kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, I want to bake, but I should have a quote unquote real career. I, so I decided that I would go to University of Waterloo for mathematics, um, become an actuary, and then after I was done in my spare time of being an actuary for 40 hours a week, I would um, I would run kind of like a a little pastry shop, kind of like a ghost kitchen, you know, um, even before ghost kitchens were an actual thing. Uh, lo and behold, went to the went to Waterloo uh, in the math program there for three years. Um, did the co-op program as well. And every position that I had, every job opportunity, every co-op position, what have you, um, two in the public or one in the public sector and two in the private sector, they just weren't very fulfilling. Uh, it was very much like you come to work, you sit down, you're at a computer, and then you go home. Very little interaction with others. Um, even though I, you know, one time I was working on a project, fine. That was just me and my team lead. Another time working in the public sector, you know, you have a team around you, but there wasn't much interaction. And then the other time I was actually on a team and there still wasn't very much uh, like human interaction. I didn't know very much about my coworkers except the basics. Um, and it just I felt like I was lacking something. I uh, went back to school after my co-op term and just like, man, this is just not what I want to do with my life. I just can't imagine the next 40 years being go to work for eight hours, come home, go to bed because you're tired of, like, looking at a screen all day, and then wake up and do the same thing again. Just wasn't wasn't for me. Uh, and I remembered that I wanted to, you know, run a bakery, and I was like, what would that look like? How would that, how would that work? Uh, so I switched my major from uh, math and business to arts and business, a program at the University of Waterloo. And my very first semester of doing that, I had an entrepreneurship class with a teacher by the name of Jeff Malik. And he asked me, what do you want to do? This was 20, this might have been like 2011. Yeah, I think it was 2011. And in a world where everyone else in the class was talking about tech and AI and apps, and I was like, I want to open a bakery. <laughs> and uh, I was the only person in the class that wanted to open a brick and mortar like a, I guess you could say, classic business. 
And so Jeff was like, yeah, that's how I started. Brick and mortar can be the way to go. It depends on a lot of things. Um, and he set me up with an internship of a friend of a friend's golfing buddy's wife just opened a bakery. And he asked if they would have me have me come in a couple of days a week for a few hours just to see how I liked it, how it worked. Um, and we settled on Wednesdays and Wednesdays were the best days of my summer into my fall, into my winter. And I ended up interning there starting one day a week and then slowly moving up to three days a week um, whilst going to classes and just loving, just loving every minute of it, opening the shop on a Saturday morning and it being still and making things and people giving you custom orders. There was just so much that I, that I loved. Uh, so after I was there, I'm like, well, obviously I like this much more than I've done anything else before. I decided to apply to George Brown College uh, for their baking and pastry arts management program, was accepted there. I didn't actually finish my degree at Waterloo. Um, I was very clever, and I um, went on exchange to Ryerson. <laughs> so I finished my degree via taking uh, via exchange classes at Ryerson University, which was great. Um, it was pretty close to downtown, well, in downtown Toronto, very close to George Brown. Um, in between my first and second year at George Brown, I went to have the opportunity to go to France, study and work there. Um, so I did that for the summer and then came back, uh, finished up my diploma at George Brown and then graduated. Now, my experience in France kind of opened my eyes to the fact that this career that I was embarking on could take me anywhere. Something that was really important to me was travel. Um, I minored in international studies while I was in Waterloo because I thought that it was just like super interesting to learn about other people and places and cultures and whatever else. And so I applied for a working holiday visa to go to England where I worked in London at a Michelin star restaurant, uh, which I thought if I can hack it at the highest echelon of uh, my industry, then there's like not very much that I can't do. Uh, so I went, uh, did that, worked there for six months um, and spent the rest of my time at a five-star luxury hotel in Piccadilly Circus. It was great, uh, except I knew that I really wanted to make cakes. So I said the next place that I move around the world, I will exclusively make cakes. A friend of mine who also studied at George Brown was living and working on a small but beautiful island in New Zealand called Waiheke, about 40 minutes away from Auckland by ferry. And she was like, oh, I'm working at a winery. We get a lot of wedding cake requests. My boss always says no because there's a lot of work. She doesn't want to do them. Do you want me to see if she'll hire you? And I'm like, oh, it's unlikely that she'll just hire me for wedding cakes. She's like, well, she's never had a pastry chef before. It might be nice to kind of free her up from having to think about pastry and um and culinary or savory at the same time. And I was like, well, ask her. I don't know. She's probably going to say no. She's never met me. She's, I haven't submitted a resume, anything like that. And, uh, yeah, I went to work. And the next day, uh, I got a message being like, yeah, she said she'll hire you. When can you get here? <laughs> uh, so I moved to New Zealand and I lived and worked there for two years. And that's actually where I had my first iteration of Lenjo Bakes, um, because I worked for the winery for one wedding season, which is about six months. And she was like, you know, you could do this on your own. I don't give you anything other than, you know, a space to work. You can find a space to work here on the island and you can you can do this on your own. Uh, and so I did. So after six months of living on this island, I went out and I found a storage container, a shipping container that had been converted into a kitchen uh, with the gas oven outside. And uh, and that's where I baked, uh, baked my cakes. People made orders through Instagram and Facebook and email. Um, and it was, it was wild in about like nine months, 
we'd done something like $16,000 and a hundred or so orders. And it was insane, but also incredible um, and amazing. Um, yeah, but unfortunately my visa came to an end. I attempted to get an entrepreneurship visa, but in order to have that, you had to have $250,000 worth of assets. And I was coming straight out of school. Um, I paid off my student loans, and I thought that, that was an achievement in and of itself. So I didn't think that I had to amass a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, so I moved home, um, which was a bit uh, a bit challenging because New Zealand was my ultimate, the, I think, the best place in the world. Um, but I was fortunate that the time that I was moving home, one of my instructors from George Brown had just written the – or written, created, helped create the baking and pastry arts program here at Conestoga College in Waterloo. And he contacted me and said, you know, when are you coming home? If you want to teach, that's a possibility. You just need to apply. And I was like, okay, cool. No worries. So I applied, got the gig, um, changed my flight so I could get home a little bit earlier. Um, and by a little bit earlier, I mean three days before Thanksgiving. And I started teaching um, the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. and didn't really look back. Um, and I even taught whilst opening Lenjo Bakes here. I was, it, it was great because it gave me the availability to like kind of get to know the city a bit. Uh, cause although I went to the University of Waterloo, I didn't go very much out of Waterloo to Kitchener. Um, but knew that I wanted to open in Kitchener and was able to find a location and meet some really great people who gave me great advice. And here we are, you know, not not too long, not too long later. I think my two year anniversary was, yeah, just just at Thanksgiving. So I've been in, back in Canada for two years now. It's been wild. Wow, you you have quite an interesting uh, story about yeah. uh, your your uh, relationship with baking, and yep. then how you um, your university, your corporate experience, and now. Uh, coming back to baking and uh, working in different countries, so that's quite a journey. So yeah, it's been wild. <laughs> yeah. So so when exactly was uh, Lenjo Bakes founded? Well, that's a bit of a hard question. Um, I did my very first my very first wedding cake was actually for my brother, um, and I didn't have any sort of branding at that time. That was August 2013. Um, but a friend of mine uh, was also getting married that September, and she was like, hey, you have to, like, name this. And I want this to be official, and I want this to be your first order. And Lenjo was a university nickname. Uh, there were three of us. We all worked together. Um, I was Lenjo. There was Danjo and Genta as well. It was really just the first three letters of our first name and the first two letters of our last name um, and put them together. And I was like, fine, okay, fine. I'll think of an email. I was like, I don't know. Lenjo Bakes kind of works. Um and it's like it hits who I am and it's what I do. And I I guess that's kind of when it started. And then I got that same friend, Dan Joe, Danielle Joseph, who now runs a very successful um, graphic design company called Function Creative. She, uh, she we did a trade. Uh, she did my branding and I made a cake for her grandmother's 70th birthday. And uh, that was in 2014, July. So, you know. Six years later, I think I've come out ahead because that cake is long gone, but the branding that she did for me and the um, and the logo that she came up with me still exists. So uh, I guess that happened. But then we didn't actually – New Zealand would have been the first time that I ran this as a business where I was like strangers were paying me to, to make their cakes. So that would have been September 2017. And then we opened here in Kitchener February 2020. 
Wow, that's uh, that's interesting. So, <laughs> um, you right now you uh, bake specifically cakes, or do you do like a bunch of different products? Yeah. So, um, our intention was to really focus on custom cakes, particularly wedding season. I love making wedding cakes because you get two perspectives from the couple who are joining together and then all of their influences from their parents and grandparents and whatever else. And you have to put it all into one cake, which kind of like symbolizes their union. You know, it's a real centerpiece. Um, and so that was going to be our focus, obviously. And then the retail part of it was really just to uh, kind of get people in the door. Uh, I knew that I was going to be in a neighborhood. I knew that I didn't want to just be a place where people walked by and was like, oh, yes, those cakes are pretty. Um, but not everyone has the means to have a bespoke cake. And I know that. Um, and I wanted the retail side of it to be kind of like a special treat for people in the neighborhood, accessible to all income, you know, just something that you can come in and grab. Cookies, brownies, cinnamon rolls, macarons, just really um, interesting and accessible food. I didn't want to do the same as everyone else. Like, we don't have cupcakes in our shop. You can get cupcakes at every other place in in the Tri Cities, so why not step out and do something a little bit a little bit different? Um, so our retail, obviously, due to COVID, um, our retail has really expanded, um, and our bespoke cakes has not <laughs> expanded. But that's mostly because you know weddings and gatherings above ten people um, have been unlawful. Uh, for the majority of the time that our business has been open. So now uh, we have a booming retail um, retail business, which is cool. And hopefully uh, going forward, we'll be able to kind of um, focus again on our on our bespoke cakes. But we won't be able to dial retail back, which is an amazing problem to have because um, it's allowed me to hire um, hire a production manager, someone who's, whose job is literally to ensure that our retail is fully stocked, so we're having – great menus with um, interesting flavor combinations and ideas on there. Um, and that's, it's much better than I could have hoped for at the very least. Mm-hmm. Um, so how many uh, units have you sold since uh, inception? How many cakes oh. um, since you began? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Those are not metrics that I, um, that I have on hand, I could attempt to find it. Um, but we, I mean, that's a bit of a, that's a bit of a tough one. I'm not going to lie to you. Here, let's see if we can do a bit of research. Um, just very quickly. Okay. In terms of count. Um, well, I can tell you that we have sold, um, just over 3000 cinnamon rolls. Um, and for, Birthday cakes, I don't have the number for, for wedding cakes, but for, for birthday cakes so far this year, we've done 61, which is not not too terrible, <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. So yeah. I guess, I guess, yeah, you've been, you've been in business for some time, so you have some uh, traction. Um, how do you promote your business? Uh, right now you have a, a retail location in Kitchener. That's right. Yep. We have a, a retail location in Kitchener. Um, we started doing e-commerce uh, in March as a response to the pandemic. It was just an easy way to get people to order, order ahead and schedule their pickup times, um, et cetera, et cetera. And it helped us know uh, who was coming because it, it's not 
we don't get a lot of foot traffic where we are, but it's enough. A lot of times people are like driving by and they're like, oh, this looks interesting. And they'll, they'll stop and kind of pull over. Um, but during the pandemic when it was really hard to get, I mean, the, the thing which was mind boggling flower was nowhere to be found. I was driving out to the boonie to get something which I needed in order for my business to happen. It was like, well, how many cinnamon rolls do I need to make and how many cookies and how much flour will I actually need? Things like this. So having e-commerce was helpful. Um, but truthfully, we don't, uh, we don't have any paid advertising. Uh, we rely on word of mouth. Uh, there's an Instagram account, which I, which I manage, which allows us to cross, um, cross post on Facebook. And that's what we, that's what we go off of. We are trying to bootstrap our way through advertising as much as we can. Um, and so far it is, uh, it's working. Um, the Waterloo record just did, uh, their Reader's Choice Awards. And we actually got gold in two categories, uh, Best New Restaurant for 2020 and Best Cakes and Cupcakes for 2020. So it's, it's working. These are the ways in which we're, we're attempting to, to get our name out there without actually having to do any, um, paid advertising. So mm-hmm. not, not too bad. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's amazing. And, uh, recently you pitched at the Rise Ventures, uh, pitch competition and, uh, it was an online pitch competition this time. So yeah. how was your experience uh, pitching online? Yeah, I'm, well, actually, I've never really had to pitch my business at all. Um, so this was definitely unique. The, the quarterfinals that we did, or was it, no, not quarterfinals, sorry, qualifying round that we did, um, was a good kind of, um, entry point, I guess or test run for the final pitch competition. Um, I thought that doing it online would be easier because no one would see me, <laughs> you know, besides like, okay, chest up, no big deal. Nobody's watching. Uh, the fact that my hands are shaking, nobody is like really hearing the tremor in my voice. It could be a tremor or it could be, you know, the internet connection, whatever. Um, but it was really nerve wracking. I didn't think that it would be um, as intense feeling as it was. Uh, but the qualifying rounds, you know, we got to pitch in front of, in front of everyone, um, which was amazing and incredible just to see all of these women, um, and their businesses and just showing what they had accomplished, uh, especially given the year that we've had. I think it was, I think it was really incredible. And then, um, we had the opportunity to get some pitch coaching, which really helped me, um, just refine um, refine my value proposition and, and communi- actually communicate my value proposition um, in a more uh, easy to understand way um, and to be explicit about it. Because before I was like, yeah, this is our value proposition. I said it. And it's like, yeah, you said it, but you didn't really expand on it. People might have missed it because you went over it so quickly. It's like, oh, OK, cool. Uh, and then for the finals. Yeah, I mean, wow. It was just it was a lot of adrenaline that I didn't realize that it would take or um, cause because <laughs> uh, we were open. It was a Friday, so we were open and I'm, I run the retail shop alone on Fridays. So we closed for 20 minutes. I wrote a little message on the door being like, we're closed for filming a pitch. I'm so sorry. Um, so we, we filmed uh, the pitch ahead of time in front of the judges, uh, which was awesome. Um, but you, besides that, you got no feedback and it wasn't until the final next Wednesday when they put everything together and then they just, they played all the pitches at that live event. Um, so it was, and we didn't get to see anybody else pitch either their final time. So it was great to then go on 
for this live event and see everyone's pitch from all three categories, small business, scalable, and social enterprise. Um, and it was great to see the revamped pitches of the people in my, in my cohort, small business. Um, but it just seems uh, like a whirlwind. And then it seems like they just announced the winners and they said my name and I almost missed it. I, I was watching and paying attention, but um, it was my parents that were like, Lenore, they've said your name. And I'm like, Oh, did they announce these runner up? They're like, they're only announcing winners. I was like, Oh, Oh, cool. That's wow. Amazing. Uh, so even though it was online, I, I don't think that the experience would have been much different in person besides the fact that you actually get to, you know, celebrate with the people who you're, who you're with. So, but no, it was an incredible, incredible experience. Um, what was your strategy to, to make an effective pitch and win the competition and oh, the, the, the video that you made, what kind of content you included? Yeah. So one thing, um, that my pitch coach, uh, Melissa Durrell, one thing that she, noticed straight off was my pitch was backwards. <laughs> she was like, you talk about your business and you give us all the information. And at the very end, you tell us um, what you're asking for. She was like, invert that. Tell us. Yeah. Okay, fine. Tell us a little bit about your business. Um, but then tell us what you want and then spend the rest of the time proving why you should have it and what you're going to do with it. Um, and that for me was like, well, yeah, when you say it that way, gosh, it makes sense, doesn't it? Um, so my strategy going in was really to to really drive home my value proposition, and that is that we make everything here from scratch. And it might seem, you know, hearing that as a consumer, be like, well, yeah, of course, you're a bakery. Oh, we would expect you to make things from scratch, but that's actually not the reality. Um, the reality is that most people, because it's so expensive to bake from scratch, and it requires you to have skilled labor. That's the most uh, important difference. You can't just hire anyone off the road to come in and make macarons. They're very challenging. You need to have some sort of um, some sort of experience in baking, even if it's just piping consistently. Doesn't seem like a hard skill, but it actually is a really hard skill. Um, so we, you know, we we pride ourselves in that. And she's like, you need to actually get that message across. A lot better than you than you have been communicating that. And in addition to that, I needed to prove. So we were asking for a dough sheeter, which would help us increase production, which would then help us increase revenue and would take away um, the intensive labor time that it takes to roll out dough by hand, um, freeing up our labor for producing other things and more of those things as well. And she's like, you need like you just need some sort of evidence. Uh, so Thanksgiving was coming and it was pie season and we make hand pies and they go over really well with um, our clients. And I knew that if we didn't have a dough sheeter, we would one, never be able to maximize our production and two, not meet our customer demand. And for us to have our very first Thanksgiving where people come for hand pies and they can't get them, it would be such a letdown and not sure if we'd be able to kind of come back from that. Right. You only have one first impression. Um, and although they might, you know, patronize the business at other times of year, at Thanksgiving, they'd be like, oh, no, nah. we tried to get pies there and we couldn't do it. So we're just going to give it a miss this time and go somewhere where we're guaranteed to get what we want. Um, so we couldn't miss that. So we got ourselves a, a dough cheater for the weekend. Um, and then we had hard numbers. So previously, we'd only been able to put hand pies on the menu for like eight times 
in in eight months or seven months at that time. And um and we made and sold like just under fifteen hundred. I think like yeah, just under fifteen hundred. And then in the two week Thanksgiving season, we made and sold nearly seven hundred hand pies. So seven hundred in two weeks compared to just under fifteen hundred in seven months is a strong argument. <laughs> That without this dough shooter, we would not, not have been able to do it because we literally were maxing out our production at almost 200 hand pies and, in a week. And in now with a dough shooter, we were at almost 400. So double, nearly 200% increase in capacity. And I think that was very compelling. That data was very compelling. There was, um, there was no doubt that this would add to our business. Um, not only now, but also into the future. Like a dough shooter with a dough shooter, you can, now laminate doughs. So we're not going to start making croissants, but we can do danishes and we can do puff pastry. Puff pastry means that we can do like breakfast savories, like sausage rolls, which we hope to have on the menu in January and breakfast pies, which we'll definitely have on the menu in January. Just things like that, small things. Um, but that can have a, a, a fairly significant um, impact, not only on our business, but for our community as well. That's amazing. Um, did you, Get any assistance from Innovation Golf to help you grow uh, your business? Yeah, they're the ones that put together the Rise program. Without them, <laughs> uh, without them, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have the the uh, even just like the education I needed. So, truthfully, a lot of the content that we learned in Innovation Golf I'd heard before, right? My my degree, um, even before switching to arts and business, was math and business. I'd done business classes before. Then I switched to arts and business with a major in economics. I had a lot of the theoretical knowledge. So the theoretical wasn't what I was going to innovation Guelph for. Um, it was mostly the experiential, which I did not have. Right. I, I signed on to the program um, before I'd officially signed a lease for my space. We'd found the space. We knew that we were going to sign a lease. Hadn't actually signed the lease. Hadn't begun construction. Hadn't, I think I'd only just secured contractors, you know, hadn't made very many steps forward. I didn't even know what I didn't know. And it was literally only by attending these courses um, through Rise, put on through Innovation Guelph, that I was able to kind of glean from the other people who were a little further along. Oh, you know, when I started, I had this and I did this and I ran into this issue try to prevent that by, and it's like, okay, cool. I didn't know that that would be a hurdle that I would have to go over. Now I know it's coming um, so I can prepare for it and clear it, right? It won't be something that'll hold me back. Um, and, and that was, that was the majority of the experience um, and the learning that I was able to do. And it was all facilitated through Innovation Guelph. Um, I had never heard of Rise before. They um, were instrumental in ensuring that it was the women of southwestern Ontario who could travel to Guelph. Um, and, and yeah, with, without them, our, our business would definitely not have thrived. Um, in the midst or the beginning of the pandemic, I, I couldn't really see a way forward for us. Um, and it was through them, they're like, think outside the box. What can you, what can you do? And I'm like, oh, I actually saw a business that had a window and we have a window. They're like, oh my gosh, surf through the window. Like, oh, now I have to figure out e-commerce and, you know, they would take a look at people in my, in my cohort would be like, send us a link to your store site. Let's take a look. This looks good. This is unclear. This process seems confusing. We want to make it simple for people. I mean, none of that 
I wouldn't have access to any of those people. I would have never met them. I would have never been able to forge those relationships if I hadn't been for Innovation Wealth. So they were, um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like I've done, I personally have done nothing to allow this to grow, but I mean, it's also just making sure that you're in the right place, um, at the right time to hear the information from the people who you would never, um, who you'd never meet. And yeah, Innovation Guelph was instrumental in everything that our business has achieved so far. So yeah, greatly indebted, <laughs> greatly indebted to them. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So you were able to use the prize money to get the equipment you need? Yeah, we bought our dough sheeter. His name is Philbert. Um, he's lovely and we have never rolled as fast as we have. We've never rolled out pop starts or pie dough as fast. And it's just, it's, it's truly changed our, changed our business. You know, like baking is a very physical task. Um, and I have one full time baker who works with me and, Previously, if we knew that we had to like roll out cinnamon rolls or roll out pie dough, we'd be like, cool. So what are all the other easy on the body tasks that we can do? Because once you, once you do, you know, roll out 200 pop tarts, your arms and your shoulders and your back, you're, you're sore. So you can't now go ahead and scoop cookies or using the same muscles. And <laughs> like you can, you can maybe cut a few things and chop a few things, but even piping macarons is really sore because you have to hold yourself in a certain way. Um, so, you know, we feel better physically, which allows us to to do more. Um, and we have so much more time that we're actually planning our menus earlier and earlier and we can be more creative. I mean, it's not just one benefit. It's it's. Um, yeah, the, the benefits are, are from all aspects of this business, which is incredible and very cool. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like you're missing your. Uh, previous corporate career? Oh my God, no. <laughs> um, no, no, not at all. I mean, um, one, I'm doing what I love. Uh, two, I don't have to worry about politics, uh, which, admit it or not, as great as workplace can be, there will always be some sort of element of politics and how do I get ahead and whatever. And I don't worry about that here. Um, I actually don't think I've worried about it in a kitchen at all. There's some, uh, say what you mean and then you get over it. You know, you yell at someone and then you get over it. They get over it. You get over it. And you're like, whatever, man, you're on my team. We have to work together. Um, so we just get over it, but there's no like, there's no animosity. If I don't like you, you know, it's, I don't have to be covert about it. It's just, it is what it is. But at the same time, we will always be on the same team. We are always pushing towards the same goal. Um, and I truthfully think it's a healthier way to live for, for me. I don't have to worry about hurting anybody's feelings. If I have something to say, I say it, you know, and, and that's kind of the culture that I want to cultivate here. Um, I don't think that people should be afraid of saying something. And I don't think that it's a license to be mean. Um, you know, don't worry about Melissa, my staff member. I'm not Gordon Ramseying her every day. Um, you know, I'm not yelling at her every day at all, but we can have frank discussions on what went right, what went wrong, how do we move on from it, how do we make it better, and then that's it. Um, and I think it's actually a really freeing uh, way to work. And, and the corporate, I just remember a manager one time was just talking so poorly about a coworker, and then they came over like, yeah, you're doing a great job. And I'm sat in the middle, like, what the heck? 
is okay. So if you do, if you do it to them, then you do it to me. And now I don't trust you. I don't trust the word that comes out of your mouth. You, you literally just proved to me how easy it is for you to be two faced. And in the kitchen, nobody has time to be two faced. You get the, get the work done and you move on. If you're angry at someone, you're angry at them, whatever. Um, but at the end of service, you know, shake their hand or fist bump them and you're like, cool. Well, we'll see you tomorrow. And that's it. There's no capacity, uh, for like holding grudges. There's no capacity for me like, ugh, this, it doesn't matter. Even if you hate their guts, guess what? You still have to work with them. You still have to get the food out and no one's going to care about your like little squabble. Your chef does not care about, mm, but they said something and it hurt my feelings. It doesn't matter. Um, and I honestly, I think it's a frank way of living and I prefer it. <laughs> like I just prefer it. So no, I 100% do not miss anything about my corporate career. Thank God. <laughs> so, um, you previously, you worked in, you know, different countries. You mentioned yeah. New Zealand, uh, France and England, and now you're working in Canada. Um, yeah. So, um, how do you compare your experiences and which one do you like the most? Oh, New Zealand, hands down. I will not hesitate to say that over and over again. Um, I think there's just like a way of life that I love. And mind you, I had a very, um, I had a very interesting experience. Uh, Waiheke Island, if you were to imagine, um, like cottage country, um, but on an island, you know, the subtropical climate never snowed, rained, but was never like really that cold. Um, it was still pleasant to be outside year round. That was Waiheke. So am I looking at it with like, you know, rose colored glasses? Maybe. <laughs> and I might be. Uh, it was very expensive to ship everything. I will say that. Um, but I loved, I loved living and working in New Zealand. I actually prefer living and working in every other country. Mind you, in France, I did not get paid. Um, so I paid to live there, but I worked for free. Um, and so that was a little bit, I don't know what to say about the pay structure there, but, um, I think people value skills labor more in other countries. Um, in England, you could, I, I made a decent living, um, despite the fact that I was living in, in London. My apartment was in Wimbledon. It was relatively expensive. Um, but I was still able to like live and enjoy my life. Whereas I think if I, I think of, you know, friends of mine who live in Toronto who were paid minimum wage when they were hired right out of, right out of school and are still making either minimum wage or very, very, very close to it, despite the fact that they now have, you know, six years of experience. And you can say, oh, you know, if you don't pay me more, I'm going to pick up and go somewhere else. And your boss will be like, cool, go somewhere else. They're paying exactly the same. Um, so I don't think that skilled labor is valued the way that it should be in Canada. Um, and I also think that we should have a pay as you earn tax structure because filing tax returns is the worst. <laughs> mm-hmm. but that's, that's my bias. That's my bias. Don't they have a lot of uh, earthquakes in New Zealand? Uh, you know what? Not where I was. There was an earthquake whilst I was there, uh, the one in Kaikoura, which was in the top of the South Island. Um, but where I was um, in the North Island near Auckland, like we're not we're not near any um very active volcanoes. There is one, Rengi Toto, uh, but it hasn't it hasn't erupted in like a hundred and something years. And they're fairly confident that it's not going to erupt. But at the Auckland Museum, you can actually go into a little simulator of what would happen if Rengi Toto were to erupt. So I think they're prepared for it. But yeah, no, I didn't really experience 
I didn't experience anything. The most that we got were like splits or like landslides. But again, it was very why hickey, um, relevant to why hickey only, uh, very like untouched. So if you're going to build and you don't put in a retaining wall, then the land would slide away. This is just, this just makes sense. Um, so as long as you had those, those safeguards in place, I, yeah, I didn't, I've never felt safer truthfully. So nah, you'd be okay. Depending on where you are. <laughs> okay. That's, that's interesting. Well, you have such a rich and diverse uh, background. Um, do you think your math major is helping you in the, in the bakery business? Um, you know what? That, that is a question that I ask myself all the time. Um, and I think that if anything, um, majoring in math helped me kind of figure out logic. Uh, so now when I see a problem, it's not like, oh, this is a problem <laughs> and that's it. It's like, okay, I, I see the problem. Um, how can I solve this problem? Um, and even especially in my computer science classes, you know, like everybody would have to code individually and they would be like, here's the thing which you need to do. I would code it one way. Another person would code it another way. And another person would code it another way. And it's like just proof that there are many ways to solve a problem that a problem is never really truly unsolvable, you know? Um, so I think that that's kind of given me the breadth of, um, just being able to see a situation and being like, cool, need to figure this out. How do we do it? Let's just sit and think. Let's actually think critically about what we can do, how we can solve this. So I think that's probably one of the, the biggest things that I've gained. Um, but also, I mean, like it was very challenging. Uh, so at the very least, I'm like, there's not really much that I don't think or that I can figure out. Um, not to say that I'm arrogant by any stretch of the imagination. I have, a, I am, you know, struggle with low self-esteem as much as the next person does. I have an inner critic as well. Um, but I don't automatically, don't automatically give up perseverance. I think was probably what most people end up coming out of uh, the university of Waterloo with just on a, on a whole. It's like, just put your head down and, and keep working. Eventually you'll happen upon the correct answer. So, yeah. Amazing. Um, well, in order, it has been very nice uh, speaking with you, learning about your, background and your experiences um, and your business. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Oh my gosh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Perfect. Um, you want to share your website? Uh, how can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. So everything is super easy. Um, we are Lenjo Bakes, L-E-N-J-O Bakes. B-A-K-E-S dot com. Uh, so you can find us at www.lenjobakes.com, Instagram at lenjobakes, and Facebook, facebook.com slash lenjobakes. That is us. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode and you get a chance to learn from Lenore's story of uh, transition and entrepreneurship and, you know, all the travel that she did. And you find some hope and inspiration and lessons. And thank you so much for listening to Zonecast and stay tuned for more episodes.